Acts chapter 1, we're going to begin reading at verse 9. Let's read the word of the Lord together, shall we? And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Now, Lord, thank you for your presence and thank you for your people. Open our hearts now that we may hear what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. Lift up other life-giving churches and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. I pray especially for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith and ask that you'll send the Holy Spirit after them and draw them back to you. Don't let one of them be lost. Thank you for hearing our prayer that I pray today in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Over the years, it's been my observation that when times get tough, many people fall into the trap of thinking their struggles and trials and difficulties are unique to them. It's easy to give into a mindset that nobody has ever had it quite as bad as we have it right now. And when we have a problem, it's the worst problem anyone has ever experienced. When we are anxious, it's the worst situation anyone has ever been in. Sometimes we forget that disciples of the first century knew what it was like to be anxious and fearful. They had thrown in their lot against the establishment of the day to follow a man they believed to be the Messiah. They had walked with him, learned from him, seen him in action, committed their lives to him. But then he was taken by cruel hands and crucified on a rugged cross. They had known the deep, dark night of the soul as they huddled in small groups, afraid for their lives while Jesus was sealed in a borrowed tomb. Three days later, abject hopelessness was transformed into irrepressible joy as they experienced the exhilaration of the glory of the resurrection. <laughs> the emotional whiplash was almost more than they could handle. And then over time, they even began to get used to the rather unsettling habit Jesus had of suddenly appearing in their midst when they least expected him. After 40 days of things settling into something resembling a routine, Jesus led them once more to the Mount of Olives. There, he instructed them to return to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Once filled with his power, he said they were to then proclaim his message to the ends of the earth. And then right before their eyes, he began to ascend into heaven. Can you imagine the thoughts that must have filled their minds and the emotions that gripped their hearts as they watched their friend and master being received into heaven? I just have this middle picture of them standing bug-eyed and slack-jawed, you know, arms raised, hands outstretched, 
a sudden exclamation of amazement escaping from their lips as he's rising into the heavens. Along with the wonder and excitement, I suspect there was also a fair amount of anxiety. I mean, this goodbye wasn't like any of the others. It, it seemed so final. It wouldn't surprise me if the unexpectedness combined with a fair amount of uncertainty didn't cause a bit of fear and triggered all the old anxieties. Forgotten were the words of John 14, 18, where Jesus promised, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Forgotten were the words of comfort Jesus spoke in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. As they stared gaping, hoping for just one more glimpse, two angels appeared and began to speak to them. Looking somewhat amused, these angels' words are recorded in verse 11 of our text. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Now, what I want you to see is that this message, this is a message the Lord wants to speak not only to awed and amazed and anxious disciples gathered on the Mount of Olives, but this is a message he wants to speak to you who are part of this service today. It's a message the church needs to embrace and proclaim to a modern world. In a world that is confused, in a world that is spinning out of control, this is a message that they need to hear and they need to understand. First of all, Jesus wants you to know the certainty of his coming. There's something like 318 references to the return of Jesus in the New Testament alone. Angels announce the first coming of Jesus, and it is angels who announce Jesus is coming again. Every writer in the New Testament mentions the second coming of Jesus. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that every time you partake of the Lord's Supper, you are proclaiming the return of Jesus. Jesus himself affirmed his return. If there was not another verse in the Bible proclaiming his return, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, ought to be sufficient assurance for us that he is coming back. In that passage, Jesus promised, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, watch this, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I'm telling you, right in the midst of your present anxiety, right in the midst of your troubled heart, right in the midst of your personal storm, right in the midst of the uncertainty that you are facing in this troubled world, the Lord wants you to remember there is a new day dawning. What you're in right now is not the end of the line, but there's a better and a brighter day just ahead. You aren't just made for time, you're built for eternity. And no matter how bleak your world appears, the events of this world and the events of your world have not 
taken him by surprise. And when everybody is wondering what in the world is going to happen next, that's when the Lord Jesus steps forward and loudly speaks from the pages of his word and says, do not be anxious. I am still sovereign. I am still the one who redeems. I even use evil to accomplish my divine purpose. While you are worrying, I am working. When fear tries to rule, that's when I overrule. Don't ever forget that everything in this world is still subject to divine authority. The Lord is still the ruler. He is still the sovereign. And just when it looks like there are no other options, just when it looks like everything is going to come crashing down around your ears, that's when the Lord is going to bring all the pieces together. You need not give in to the anxiety of this age because this is all moving toward a grand finale orchestrated by God. And that grand finale is the return of the Lord Jesus to this earth. He's coming, I tell you. (laughs) This is the hope the world needs to hear. Jesus is coming again. This world is not going to continue the way it is. It's going to be dramatically transformed. The angel's proclamation is true. Jesus is coming again. They said, this same Jesus. The same Jesus who was born of the Virgin Mary. The same Jesus baptized by John in the Jordan. The same Jesus tempted by the devil in the wilderness. The same Jesus who turned water into wine at Cana. The same Jesus who walked the stormy waters of the Galilee. The same Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead in Bethany. The same Jesus who was betrayed and sold by Judas and forsaken by the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. The same Jesus denied by Peter in the courtyard. The same Jesus condemned by the Sanhedrin in the temple court. The same Jesus crucified horribly on Golgotha's cross. The same Jesus buried in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. The same Jesus who rose triumphantly from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Jesus who ascended back into heaven. Not a different Jesus. Not a pseudo-Jesus not a pretend Jesus. The disciples' testimony, the assurance of the angels, and the promise of Jesus all agree. This same Jesus is coming again. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Not only does Jesus want you to know the certainty of his coming, but he also wants you to know the consequences of his coming. See, the promise of his return is pretty empty unless you have an understanding of what it really means and how it is relevant to this world in which you live. And there are three words I want to give you before I conclude this message to help give meaning to the coming of the Lord. First of all, I want you to know the coming of the Lord means hope. Somebody just tell your neighbor, I need some hope today. (laughs) The coming of the Lord means hope. This is what Jesus was talking about in Luke chapter 21. In that chapter, he talks about all kinds of calamity coming to this earth. And then he says in verse 28 of that chapter, but when these things begin to take place, straighten up. And lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. 
The Apostle Paul talks about this hope in Colossians chapter 1, verses 3, and then again verse 5, when he says, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. This hope is expressed when Paul writes in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. That's why 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 tells us when believers lose a loved one to death, who is also a believer to death, we may grieve, but we don't grieve like those who have no hope. <laughs> for the person of faith, the return of Jesus signals the resurrection of the dead in Christ. That's why verse 16 tells us the dead in Christ will rise first. That's what it's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 54. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. I'm telling you, death is not a barrier that blocks our progress. It's a doorway into an eternity in his presence. Not only does the return of Jesus not only does the return of Jesus signal the resurrection of the dead in Christ, but it also signals the reunion of the living in Christ. That's the meaning of 1 Thessalonians 4 and 17. Then we who are alive and remain together shall be caught up with him in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. I'm telling you, the return of the Lord means that every time you stand at the graveside of a loved one who has died in faith, it is never a final goodbye. It's simply a see you later. When Jesus comes again, we're going to be reunited. I'm going to get to spend time with my parents and my grandparents. They've been gone. They've been gone for a long time now. And every now and then I still catch myself thinking, oh, I need to call dad about, and then I think, no, I can't do that. You know what I'm talking about that. You're, you do that too with your loved ones. Oh, but there's coming a day that I'm going to get to sit down and talk with dad and we just, we won't have to worry about the time. We'll just be able to spend whatever time we want there. there. Oh, I'm telling you, there's coming a time I'm going to get to hold my son who died as an infant. I'm going to get to visit with all my friends who have, some of who have died way too soon. When Jesus returns, loved ones are going to be reunited for all eternity. Return of Jesus signals the resurrection of the dead in Christ. It signals the reunion of the living in Christ. It also signals the reign of Jesus on the earth. That's the meaning of Revelation eleven fifteen. Then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. This is something this world needs to know. This is a message we need to be proclaiming. There is hope that the kingdom of this world is going to become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. He's going to reign. He's going to rule. Evil is not going to have the last word. I'm telling you, when Jesus comes again, evil will be vanquished. 
Satan will be banished. When Jesus comes again, all wrongs will be made right. All injustices will have justice. All questions will have answers. All conflicts will have resolution. All wounds will have healing. There will be no more dying. There will be no more sighing. There will be no more crying. There will be no more temptation. There will be no more trials. There will be no more troubles. This is the hope of the church, and this is the hope we proclaim to a modern world that Jesus is coming. The coming of the Lord means hope. Then I want you to see the coming of the Lord means honor. Do you remember the story Jesus told in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25 about three men who were given talents by their master? In that story, those talents are actually sums of money. Remember, one received five, another two, another one. You, you remember that story? One, two, three. Oh, okay, all right. I didn't know if I was going to have to tell the whole story or not. All right. In that story, Jesus clearly states he is trying to communicate something significant about the kingdom of God. And one of the important truths to emerge from that story is there is a reward for the faithful. In both verse 21 and 23 of Matthew 25, the master says to the servant who has worked hard and faithfully carried out the task assigned to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The apostle Paul wrote to his son in the Lord in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, and said, it is a trustworthy statement, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Oh, I thought somebody would be happy about that, so I'll move on. In Revelation 22 and 12, the Lord Jesus said, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. The apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. What all this tells me is that the coming of the Lord means your faithfulness and your obedience and your service is not in vain. There is a payday coming. See, God has a reward system established for those servants who will be faithful to him. When the Lord comes again, those rewards are going to be passed out. So, so be encouraged today. Don't become weary in well-doing. You hold on just a little longer. You keep praying. You keep believing. Keep praising. Keep witnessing. Keep pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Keep trusting. Keep giving. Keep loving. Keep serving. Your labor is not in vain. Yeah, yeah. Now, If I could build one thing into your life about the coming of the Lord, this is what I would build into your life. Get your focus off the latest prediction about the timing of the Lord's return. Don't be concerned about whether the rapture of the church is going to be pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation, pre-wrath, or whether there's even going to be a rapture at all. 
Get your focus off the latest sensational conjecture of how world events and natural phenomena overlay with Bible prophecy. Stop getting all twisted around and worried about what the latest so-called prophecy teacher is telling you. And what you've read in the latest books. I'm already this far into it. Stop worrying about blood moons. And trying to identify the Antichrist by somebody's birthmark. And about some kind of alliance that is forming with nations against the nation of Israel. Instead, keep your eyes on Jesus. I'll give you two things to focus on, all right? Here we go. Number one, you need to be focused on preparation. Jesus is coming, so get ready and stay ready. You don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen, and neither does anybody else in spite of what they may tell you. If somebody tries to tell you this is when it's going to happen, just write them off. They don't know. They're making it up. But your responsibility is to prepare. Be ready. Love Jesus. Look for Jesus. Live for Jesus. He's coming. Be ready. Number two. Not only do you need to be focused on preparation, you need to be focused on perseverance. What I want to build into the people of the congregation I serve is the perseverance of the saints. We are in some dark days, and I just got to tell you, there are darker days on the horizon. Everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken. So instead of banking on getting out of here before everything falls apart, help me, Jesus. You need need to be strengthening your faith, securing your hope, and solidifying your understanding of God's word so you don't lose heart and you don't fall apart in the time of tribulation. You gotta remember, it's always too soon to give up. Hang in there, hold on, persevere. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Jesus is coming back and at the coming of the Lord, there are gonna be some rewards. There are gonna be some crowns. There are gonna be some seats of authority and rulership. Honor is going to be given. If you'll remain faithful to him at his return, you will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Everybody doing okay? The coming of the Lord means hope. The coming of the Lord means honor. Finally, I want you to see the coming of the Lord means harvest. 
There's a principle of sowing and reaping woven throughout the pages of the Bible. That's what Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8 is talking about when the Apostle Paul writes, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. In the book of the Revelation, chapter 20, there is a sobering scene that is recorded in verses 11 through 15. Listen to this. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. Books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You know, the same story in Matthew chapter 25 that gave the promise of honor and rewards is the same story that says in verse 19, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. It, it, He talks up there about accountability. That word accountability isn't one we like to hear too much about today. Seems nobody wants to be responsible for his or her own actions anymore. You know, it's too easy to be the victim. Too many want the benefits and the blessings of the kingdom without the requirements and the responsibilities of the kingdom. They, They want to call Jesus their Savior without obeying His commands. The return of the Lord means he's going to call each and every one to give an accounting of the way you've lived your life and what you've done with the things with which you've been entrusted. In God's eyes, the problem isn't the amount you have or don't have. Instead, it's what are you doing with what you have. The good news is I'm not going to have to give an accounting for what you do, and neither will you have to give an accounting for what I do. When Jesus comes, you'll stand before God as an individual. Grandma's faith, daddy's faith, pastor's faith cannot save you. It all comes down to your personal decision to surrender your life to Jesus. You know, the Bible is clear when it says the return of the Lord will happen suddenly. The sounding of the trumpet, the shout of the archangel, the resurrection of the righteous dead, catching away of the redeemed, it's all going to happen faster than you can blink your eyes. What that says to me is, if you're waiting for the sound of the trumpet to make everything right between you and the Lord, I I just want you to know, when the trumpet sounds, it's too late. Before I conclude this message, I want to impress upon you that right now is the time to surrender to Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. When the trumpet sounds, it's too late to trust Jesus for your salvation. When the trumpet sounds, it's too late to pray. When the trumpet sounds, it's too late to get forgiveness from the one you've offended. 
When the trumpet sounds, it's too late to remove bitterness and anger from your life. Now, you were hoping I didn't go there, but we're already there, so you deal with it. When the trumpet sounds, it's too late to live your life according to God's plan. Jesus is coming. So I want to ask you, if Jesus were to come today, if, if, if today were the day you would reap the harvest from the life you've been sowing, would you receive a reward or a rebuke from the master? I used to hear preachers say, if you were to die tonight, are you ready to meet Jesus? That's a great question to consider. But the truth is, most of you, perhaps all of us, all of you, we're not going to die tonight. So the question I want to ask is this. If you don't die tonight, what are you going to do tomorrow? How are you going to live your life? Will you live it only for yourself? Will you live it only for the temporal and forget about the eternal? What kind of seeds are you going to sow for which you will reap a harvest at the coming of the Lord? Jesus is calling to you today. He has me preaching this message, and he has you listening to it to tell you that he loves you and has so much better in mind for your life than the way you're living apart from him. So won't you decide today to surrender your life to him? Bow with me in prayer, please. Oh, Lord, I've endeavored to deliver the word you've given me as clearly and concisely as I know how. Now I ask the Holy Spirit to do what I cannot do. I ask the Holy Spirit to make this message real in the hearts of those who hear. Draw them to the place of repentance where they will surrender their life to you. Oh, Lord, have mercy on people who are away from you. Don't let one of them be lost, I pray. Now, if you want to surrender your life to Jesus, maybe you want to pray a prayer in your heart that says something like this. Oh, Lord, I confess that I've been turned away from you, but today I turn toward you. I've walked my own way, but today I surrender and turn around to walk the way you've called me. I ask you to forgive my sin. Transform my life from the inside out. Give me a fresh start. Make me a new creation. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of your word that if I would confess my sin, you will be faithful to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Thank you for paying the penalty for my sin upon the cross. So with faith in your completed work, I now surrender my life to you, Lord Jesus. Amen.